The plain meaning, the implication of this Bible passage seems abundantly clear. Those who are good go to heaven, and those who are bad go to hell. Again, the, the plain, straight meaning of this passage seems completely clear. Those who are good go to heaven, and those who are bad go to hell. And that is something that is quite unsettling, I think, for all of us, including myself. So I want to offer a different way of thinking about this parable, one that includes judgment, but one that is profoundly hopeful and points us towards what God is doing in this life and in the next. And to get there, I want to start in a strange place. To, to get there, I want to start in Barbie land. Okay, I want to start in Barbie land. Uh, my wife and I joined the uh, millions who, who watched uh, Barbie this weekend. And um, so, again... Good movie, lots to think about. And there are these really beautiful scenes, including one I'm going to share with you. And in this scene, uh, and I don't want, I'm not going to give away too much, but Barbie leaves Barbie Land. And in Barbie Land, life is one big dance party where kind of everybody kind of is sort of is pretty happy. Well, anyway, she leaves Barbie Land and she goes to real life. And real life isn't one big dance party, as it turns out. Right? Real life's a lot more complex. And at one point, there's this uh, montage of, of sort of video of you're just seeing these, these different pieces of life. And, and Barbie's finally, for the first time, seeing kind of what real life is like. And so it includes a, a child growing up. And as that child grows up, they start to push away their parents. And then uh, she looks over and she sees a child who's, who's injured getting up. And then she sees a couple who's fighting, another friend or a couple who's laughing, a kid kind of climbing up a play toy, and then somebody who's really, really lonely and anguished. And then she looks over on the park bench, and she sees this older woman, really old. And, and for Barbie, it's the first time that she's seen anybody who isn't 25, right? In Barbie land, nobody ages. And, and she looks over, and she says to this woman, she says, you're, you're beautiful. And what the, the story is getting at, and I think many movies, but, but this movie really tried to, to get at that truth that Truth and beauty and goodness and meaning aren't found in Barbie land where things are pretend. They aren't just found in dance parties as fun as those are. But beauty and truth and goodness and meaning, they're found in this life. In this life that has all sorts of challenges and problems. It has estrangement in families. It has conflict within couples. It has injury it has loneliness. It, it has injustice that bears on us. It has aging, and of course it has the reality of death that looms over us. But yet, in spite of this world and the sin and the brokenness in it, somehow, again, there's something transcendent. There's something good and beautiful and truthful and meaningful about this life. That is what Jesus is talking about today in the sheep and the goats. Jesus reviews the reality of life's brokenness. Jesus acknowledges that there are people who do not have enough to provide for food or clothing for themselves. Jesus acknowledges that our bodies will get sick and we will ultimately struggle with our own death. Jesus acknowledges that there are injustices and yet there are times in life when we have to reap what we have sown. There are people in 
prison. Again, there are laws that are broken and that there are people who, for all sorts of reasons, find themselves in new situations, out of their comfort zone, out of even their own homeland, running away. There are strangers in strange lands. There's all of this in this thing called, called earthly life. And Jesus says that, that what you do to the least of people, what you do to people who are on the margins, what you do to people who are hurting and in need, Jesus says you do that for him. And in fact, he calls the people who are struggling, he says, these are my brothers and sisters. He so identifies with them in their suffering. And it's this beautiful reality here that, that Jesus is saying that he is with people he is with people in suffering, and he's with us when we do acts of mercy to those who are struggling. And this is something that isn't just true in idealistic movies. It's not just true even in Scripture because it bears itself out. This is, this is the Word of God. This is the promise. And, and so in the, the past couple weeks, I was, I was with a couple that one of the people has dementia. And what happens in this couple is like many people with dementia, the person with dementia will, will start a conversation. And it's somewhere between a mumble and a sentence. And it, it kind of is based in reality, but it, it's going all over the place. And this spouse so gently would, would play along and would, would walk with the one who was struggling to, to understand reality and walk back to, to a place where they both could, could have a conversation. And then sort of punctuating, though, this, this sort of this fantasy world was, was sort of these moments when, when the couple would lock eyes. And, and it was so clear that, that they were both with it and that their eyes said that they had loved each other and lived a life for decades together. And so here was this situation in which you could look at it and on the one hand say it was, it was a tragedy, it was, it was suffering, that, that there was sickness, that there was disease that would ultimately take over this person's mind and body. There was death haunting the room. Yet, yet you see again Jesus Christ has promised to be in those situations when, when mercy is being shown, when suffering is happening. And, and so the, the love in this room was so thick I felt like I could just swim in the love in this room in spite of the death that loomed. And I just felt this warm, palpable presence of Christ in, with, and under this couple and their love for one another. Again, Jesus Christ has, has promised to be with those of us who are in needs when we're on the margins, when we're excluded, and when we're hurt, and has promised to show up and reveal himself in the acts of mercy. And this is what it means to be a sheep, that we, we follow the voice of our Savior. Because I know if I, I talked to this, to this spouse later, they would tell me I could do no other. They weren't seeking, again, their own virtue. It's this profound sense of love with us. And so this is what impels, this is what compels people to, to go do, do medical work in Ethiopia. It's what compels people to decide, I want to run for office. It's what compels a teacher to, to stay afterwards and to, to try to find out what's really going on in this kid's heart. It's, it's that sense that we can do no other, for to be a sheep is to be overcome and to, to look back then and say that I was with Jesus in that time. 
and that Jesus was there and the love of God was palpable and, and carrying me on. And so this is, this is the life of the sheep. And I think we've all had those, those moments, those times where we've lived that life of a sheep where we, in spite of the, the limitations and the brokenness, we have sensed God's presence in, through, and under us. Okay, well, that all sounds good. So what prevents us from living the life of a sheep? What holds us back then from simply this being our always way of life, of, of living in these acts of mercy for people that are hurt and on the sidelines? Well, to go back to the movie Barbie, uh, Barbie's pretty comfortable in Barbie land. And I think it's pretty easy for us to be comfortable in our own Barbie land, which I'm going to call Lidditz. It's easy in this community where things generally work and there's nice restaurants. And, and again, like there's trees on the streets and there's pretty fall colors. And it's, it's easy to kind of just kind of get sucked into our own rhythm and kind of get on the treadmill. And, and pretty soon we, we find ourselves pulled away from those who are in need. We can forget about them. There's also a way in which our societies become so hyper-politicized that there are people who are really hurting, right? There are groups in our society that are, that are really hurting. And that can be prisoners who are wondering what's going to happen with the Lancaster County Prison. That can be LGBT youth. That can be refugees who are wondering where their home is going to be. That can be people who are on governmental assistance just to make ends meet. But what happens is, is that they become political fodder for sort of these two teams to tug a war. And the thing is, Jesus is not promised to be with political fodder. Jesus is promised to be with people, to be with people who are hurting. And so we're, again, we're drawn into all sorts of online debates instead of the, the act of actually showing mercy to other people. So again, there's this, this draw away, and I think there's a word then of challenge from Jesus, a word that indicts us to, to get out of our comfort zones, to, to leave that behind, and to seek out, to have our hearts and homes and minds open to where people are hurting, and to go there knowing that that is where Christ's voice, the shepherd's voice, is calling us. But I want to go deeper, and I really want to push us today. Because I think another thing that holds us back from living as a sheep is that we have strong goat-like tendencies. And if you notice what the goats do today, when Jesus comes to them and says, you didn't do this, the goat's response is not to confess the goat's sin. The goat does not say, you're absolutely right, Jesus. I messed up. I was self-absorbed. I got caught up in living my life instead of trying to help other people. No, 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 the goat, the goat gets those sort of horns of a goat up and starts to be defensive and says, oh, Lord, if it had been you, I would have done it, right? The goat makes excuses. The goat seeks to self-justify. And I have seen this again and again in life. Uh, recently, um, uh, this week, I found out, well, three years ago, a, a friend of mine who's actually a pastor did something wrong ended up in all sorts of trouble with the law. And finally, after three years, their, their, sort of their, their sentence has been paid. It's a bit more complicated. We'll leave it at that. And so they decided on Facebook and email to, to welcome themselves back to the world. And the way they did so was they sent out an email that basically said, I was wronged by everybody. Everybody got it wrong, and everybody, everybody except for my wife was against me. 
And what was amazing was, was that in this whole entire sort of outburst, there was no acknowledgement of how this human hurt other people. They were so interested in relitigating, in self-justifying, that they could not have their eyes and hearts open to the people who were now on the margins because of what they did. But this is what happens. I see this as a, as a pastor. People come to me all the time, and they, and they unload their problems, and that's fine. And some people truly are, are in my office because people didn't do right by them. But see, I, I was trained to, to confess to hear a confession and to offer you forgiveness. But what so many people, what, what they, is wanted from me is to then play judge and get out my hands of justice and tell, and tell the people that in fact, you in this case were 51% right and they were 49% wrong. You were wronged and you're right. And that's what they look for. And they wanna relitigate the past and, and justify themselves. They want authorization to be the victim. They do not wish to confess their sins. Again, they're stuck being a goat. There's a bit of all of us that get in that realm where, again, we so focus on relitigating the past that we put blinders on then to the needs of those around us. The way to live like a sheep, ironically, is to acknowledge that we're a goat. Again, the way to live like a sheep is to acknowledge that we're a goat. To go before our God and instead of blaming everybody else or trying to figure out exactly what percentage was me, was her, was him, was my boss, was society, was the government, was my parents. Instead to just simply say, Lord, this is what I've done. And I don't know what everybody else has done, but this is what I've done wrong. This is my sin and I, and I give it over to you. And when we do that, then we look up. And who is before us is no longer a judge. Who is before us is Jesus Christ, but Jesus now appears to us no longer as a judge, but Jesus appears to us now as the good shepherd, as the good shepherd who, who tells us that we indeed, that you are his sheep, and that he has laid down his life for you, and that he has died, that you are forgiven. And then as sheep, we can look down and we can see that we've got wool. And we've got things to give, ways to serve, and our hearts then are open, and we can let go of that past and look around us and see who is our neighbor, who is our neighbor in need. Okay, but what about hell, right? What about hell? There, there, there was hell, and we've, we've got to go back to hell, because hell makes me uncomfortable. The truth is that the sin in our lives needs to die. It needs to go somewhere and to never come back. This week is Thanksgiving, and many of you will be spending time with your family. Or perhaps you won't be spending time with your family because you're estranged from family. But I want you to think, how many of you have one person in your family that, that you're not a big fan of? That you love but don't like? How about that? Okay. How many of you could identify that person's tragic flaw? I could say, what's, what's wrong with your brother? Right there, you'd know it. You'd say it fast, so fast. Now, I want you to imagine for a second, what would it be like? What would it be like if we could take your brother, your parent, your in-law, whatever, and we could take that tragic flaw away from them? Whatever it is, maybe, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a resentment they just don't let go of. Maybe it's an insecurity. Maybe it's a amount of pride. What, whatever it is. 
If we could take them and just take that, rip that roots and all out of them and put that somewhere where it never would ever come back, how glorious would that be? That's why there has to be hell. Because see, when I'm looking out at you, I see a whole lot of sheep, but I see a whole lot of goats. Each one of you is a sheep. Beloved, the one for whom the great shepherd has died. But each one of you is also a goat. Each one of you is prone to make excuses. And in fact, if we were to review the last week of our life, like the Monday after the football tapes are reviewed, if we reviewed the last week, we sat down with Jesus, we'd, we'd see times when you did good, you weren't even aware of it. He said, I just do what I had to. We'd also see times though when you pulled yourself away, pulled yourself away from those in need and, and clung to your own vanity. Again, we're all sheeps and we're all goats. And the truth is that the goat in us must be put to death. The goat in us must be put away and no more, that only then the sheep can emerge. And so this day is First Communion, and I invite those who are taking their communion for the first time, or all of us, or even if you're not taking the bread and the wine, to say amen today. To say amen, so be it. Say amen, yes, Lord, to the Lord's judgments that your sin that we bring would be taken away and would be done with forever. And say yes then, yes to the love and mercy of the shepherd. To say yes to Christ our King who is victorious over your sin and over your death and who is King over our lives in this life and in the one to come. Amen.